Good afternoon and a very warm welcome to Great Sacred Music. It's lovely to see all of you. Our theme for today is Reflections on Mortality and the Life to Come, which might sound a little bit somber, but is actually quite an appropriate theme for the beginning of Lent, the traditional period of reflection on the fragility and brokenness of human lives. Though, of course, in Christian terms, both fragility and mortality are held within a bigger framework, that of God's care for all his creatures, and the idea of heaven, of a place and time to come beyond life as we know it. Our opening piece was Heaven Haven by the 20th century British composer, Benjamin Britten. Heaven Haven is the last of Britain's seven choral settings of poems by the Victorian poet, Jer um, Gerard Manley Hopkins. This one was entitled AMDG. The set was composed in 1939, but because the composer was so self-critical, they were withdrawn from circulation and they remained unperformed until 1984, eight years after Britain's death. The title AMDG might sound a little cryptic, but it stands for the famous motto of the Jesuits, Ad Maiorem Dei Gloriam to the greater glory of God. The Jesuits were a religious order which Hopkins joined in his early 20s. Heaven Haven is one of Hopkins' earliest poems, written in 1864 when he was studying as an undergrad at Balliol College in Oxford. The poem explores the day a nun takes the veil, her emotions and her faith as she takes this decisive step. There were a number of things that influenced Hopkins as he wrote this. Um, he had just met Christina Rossetti and written a response to her poem, The Convent Threshold. He also describes an art show which he'd attended not long before with paintings like Charles Collins' Convent Thoughts or John Everett Millet's Veil of Rest. Hopkins' own sister, Millicent, was interested in the Anglican Sisterhood and would later become a sister of All Saints Home, an Anglican sisterhood in London. Hopkins was still an Anglican in 1864, but he'd already begun to explore converting to the Roman Catholic faith, and two years later, he converted and trained to be a Jesuit priest. Very little of Hopkins' work was published during his lifetime, because he felt there was a conflict between his religious calling and the inevitable self-promotion that comes with publishing your own work. And it was his friend and poet, Robert Bridges, who ensured that his poems were seen in 1918, 20 years after Hopkins died of typhoid fever. It's our tradition here at Great Sacred Music to begin by singing a hymn together, and you'll find the words on the inside of your sheet. Come, gracious spirit, heavenly dove. This is a hymn that explores the soul giving itself up to the conduct and influence of the Holy Spirit. It was written by the dissenting minister and theologian Simon Brown, a contemporary of Isaac Watts. Brown was born in Somerset in 1680, and he began to preach as an independent or dissenter. In other words, a Protestant Christian who did not conform to the doctrines of the Church of England. He was soon settled at Portsmouth and became a pastor at the Old Jewry Meeting House in London in 1716. 
1723, Brian was attacked by a highway robber. He killed him in self-defense. Because it was self-defense, there were no legal consequences for the killing. However, Brian himself was convinced he'd used excessive force and that he'd become a murderer. Around the same time, his wife and son died and Brian became deeply depressed. He became so depressed that he started to believe that as a result of killing the man, he'd become damned or cursed and his soul had been removed from his body. He gave up on ministry later that year and returned to his birthplace of Shepton Mallet in Somerset, where he remained until his death nine years later. There he continued to write, including books for children, translations of Latin and Greek poetry, and an abstract of the Bible. He also published several, three, several theological works, a fit rebuke to a ludicrous infidel, the defense of the religion of nature and the Christian revelation, and a sober and charitable Christian disquisition concerning the importance of the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. You can see from the titles that his earlier, more light-filled writing took a darker turn as his life became more challenging. So we remain seated as the voices stand and lead, come gracious spirit. Our next piece will be Lord, Let Me Know Mine End by the British composer, teacher and musician, Sir Charles Hubert Parry. As a composer, he is best known for the choral hymn Jerusalem, his 1902 setting for the coronation anthem, I Was Glad, and the hymn tune Repton, which sets the words, Dear Lord and Father of Mankind. His father thought that music was not a suitable career for a gentleman, but nevertheless, Barry's musical talent was nurtured at his prep school, and while still at Eton, he became the youngest student to gain a bachelor's degree in music from Oxford University. 
He went on to read law and modern history at Oxford, but he kept up his musical studies while working in insurance at his father's behest until his compositions came to public notice. He then gave up on the idea that music was not good enough for a gentleman, and he was appointed Professor of Composition and Musical History at the Royal College of Music in 1883, and he, and he then became director of the Royal College uh, 12 years later, a post which he held until his death. He was concurrently Heather Professor of Music at the University of Oxford from 1900 to 1908, and wrote several books about music and musical history. Parry is, incidentally, the only composer to have been elected as a member of the Royal Yacht Squadron. Lord Let Me Know Mine Ends is the sixth and final motet from Paris' Songs of Farewell, which were composed between 1916 and 1918, and were among his last compositions before his death. The songs were written during the First World War, and you can see that theme going through the songs. A number of his pupils at the Royal College were being killed in action. Paris' choice of texts are thought to reflect a yearning to escape the violence of a world at war and to find peace in a heavenly realm. During the war, Paris lost many of his students. He'd been a lifelong Germanophile and he'd previously believed that Britain would never go to war with the Kaiser. And so the war became a time of real personal despair for him, which you find woven through the six pieces. Lord, let me know mine end is a setting of part of Psalm 39, a meditation on the fragility of human beings before God, a prayer for a peaceful life and a reminder of the assurance of God's care.
Next, we're going to listen to I Saw a New Heaven by Edgar Leslie Bainton. Bainton was born in Hackney in London and later moved with his family to Coventry. He was awarded a music scholarship to King Henry VIII's Grammar School in 1891. And in 1896, he won an open scholarship to the Royal College of Music to study theory with Sir Henry Wolford Davies. In 1899, he received a scholarship to study composition with Sir Charles Villiers Stanford. In 1901, Bainton became piano professor at the Newcastle-upon-Tyne Conservatory of Music. In the summer of 1914, Bainton visited Germany to attend the Bayreuth Festival, but was arrested after war broke out. He was sent to a civilian detention camp in Berlin, where he remained for the next four years. In March 1918, his health deteriorated and he was sent to The Hague to recuperate. Following the armistice, he became the first Englishman to conduct the orchestra of the Amsterdam Concert Hall in two concerts of British music before coming back to England. After his return to England, Bainton's choral works became features of the Three Choirs festivals. In 1933, he left England to take up an appointment as director of the New South Wales State Conservatorium in Sydney. He's not a prolific composer, and he's been a little ignored at times in England, but Bainton has had some success with his operas in Australia. His anthem, I Saw a New Heaven, is one of his best-known works and is typical of his work. He was attracted to late romantic harmony but without indulging in the kind of folk song influence modal harmonies which characterized the music of his contemporaries like Vaughan Williams. The anthem sets a text from the book of Revelation, chapter 21. The text is well known. It's often used at funerals. It can be heard in a number of Hollywood films when lives are in great danger, like you can spot it in Titanic. It's a text that promises something far beyond the present troubles. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them, and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away.
Next comes our second hymn, his words you can find inside your sheet. Glorious things of thee are spoken by the 18th century English evangelical Anglican cleric and slavery abolitionist, John Newton. Newton was born in London in 1725 to a Christian family. His mother had great faith, but she died when he was seven and Newton joined his father at sea when he was 11. He had a rather interesting lifestyle, which included a flogging for attempted desertion from the Royal Navy and captivity by a slave trader in West Africa. He escaped and then himself became the captain of a slave ship. Clearly, he hadn't learnt much from his own experience. Several factors contributed to Newton's conversion. A near drowning in 1748, 
the piety of his friend Mary Catlett, whom he eventually married, and his reading of Thomas Akempis' Imitation of Christ. In 1754, he gave up the slave trade, and together with William Wilberforce, he became an ardent abolitionist. He became a tight surveyor in Liverpool and came under the influence of George Whitefield and John and Charles Wesley and began to study for the ministry. He was ordained in the Church of England and served in Olney and St. Mary's Woolnoth, London. His legacy to the Christian Church includes some 280 hymns, including the famous Amazing Grace. You can hear echoes of Newton's life story within the final verse of our hymn. Saviour, if of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride or pity, I with glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show. Solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. We remain seated as the voices stand and lead. Glorious things of thee are spoken.
Thank you for joining us today. There's an opportunity at the end to donate to a retiring collection on your way out, either in cash or you can find different ways of giving on the back of your sheet. And do join us for Great Sacred Music next Thursday at 1 p.m. The details are on the back of your sheet. If you can't join us every week, you can find Great Sacred Music online on our Facebook page or on St. Martin's Digital 24 hours later on Fridays at 1 p.m. And do also join us each Sunday at 3.15 for Choral Classics, our sister program led by members of St. Martin's Voices. We finish today with an arrangement of American singer-songwriter Bob Dylan's song, Knocking on Heaven's Door by Jean-Francois Noël. Dylan wrote the song for the film Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. It was released as a single two months after the film and became a worldwide hit, and it reached the top 10 in many countries. The song is one of Dylan's most popular and most covered compositions. It got covers from Eric Clapton, Guns N' Roses, Randy Crawford, and more. It features two verses, the lyrics of which comment directly on the scene of the film it was written for, the death of the frontier lowman, Slim Pickens, who refers to his wife as Mama. The image of knocking on heaven's door is a common one in popular piety, and yet in the Bible the image is reversed and tells us that it is God himself who knocks on the door of our hearts, asking whether God may be welcome.